Hello, thank you for joining me here at yet another virtual Cardinal O'Connor conference. Uh, we're bummed that we can't be in person together, but totally understand that this decision was for our safety. And so hopefully next year we can work together again in person. But for now, we're doing it online and I'm grateful that you clicked on this talk. Uh, so my name is Herb Garrity. I am the executive director of Rehumanize International. We are a secular, nonpartisan organization dedicated to creating a culture of peace and life. Here at Rehumanize International, we believe in a philosophy called the consistent life ethic. And that is exactly what I'm going to talk about in this session today. So let's just get started. The consistent life ethic is a universally accessible philosophy that is based on the intrinsic value of each and every individual human being. In a nutshell, it means that we oppose aggressive violence against human beings in all stages of life and in all circumstances. I'm going to explain a little bit more about what this looks like in practice, but first I want to just define some terms and then give a brief introduction to the history and philosophy of this movement. First, generally speaking, when we say violence, we are talking about behavior involving physical force intended to hurt, damage, or kill someone. And so when we say we oppose aggressive violence, we are referring then to violence that is intentionally perpetrated by an aggressor against a victim. This does not include uh, force or violence used in self-defense, as that would be defensive, not aggressive in nature. While some consistent life ethic adherents are pacifist um, and refuse all violence, it's not mandatory. At the same time, some even go a step further and will oppose all forms of aggressive violence against non-human animals as well as humans, and so they choose to be vegan. Again, this is somewhat common, but it's not mandatory at all within the consistent life ethic sphere. So to hold a consistent life ethic, you simply have to oppose aggressive violence against human beings in all stages of life and in all circumstances. We believe that we must oppose these acts of aggressive violence because they are contrary to our shared, inherent human dignity. As humans, we are members of a rational species and have an existence that is unique and unrepeatable. The self, this selfhood of each human being is what makes it so you can't just swap out one human for another. Further, what makes us unique is not just our physical appearance or makeup, there's something greater, an untouchable aspect of ourselves, something inherent to who we are as human beings that makes it impossible to replace any one of us. When a human being is killed, someone irreplaceable and totally unique in all of time and space has ended. This is part of why the opposition to aggressive violence is so foundational to the consistent life ethic. People from all different backgrounds, races, faiths, and political backgrounds as well, it can embrace this philosophy because it is one with human dignity at its core. The basic ideas of human dignity and nonviolence that the ethic is based on have been present in many different religious, spiritual, and philosophical traditions across the globe. However, the current iteration of our current movement can be traced back to the intersections of the anti-war and anti-abortion movements in the 1970s within the United States. 
Originally, this uh, this culture was referred to as the seamless garment approach to human rights. Um, the term seamless garment was coined by Catholic pacifist Eileen Egan in 1971. Um, she said, the protection of life is a seamless garment. You can't protect some life and not others. The title for this philosophy as the consistent life ethic, which is what we usually call it today, um, was popularized in the 1980s by Cardinal Joseph Bernardin of Chicago. The movement gained substantial momentum with Bernardin, who felt that Catholic social teaching demanded a holistic approach to issues of human rights and dignity. He later went on to clarify that while his personal inspiration may have come from New Testament principles, he didn't believe that this philosophy was at all inherently Catholic or even Christian, calling people from all walks of life to hold this greater consistency in our approach to human rights. Also in the 1980s, the Consistent Life Network, which at the time was known as Pro-Lifers for Survival and then the Seamless Garment Network, was formed. Since then, their goal has been to unite many organizations and individuals who support the consistent life ethic, including us here at Rehumanize International. So that leads us to today. The consistent life ethic today is a movement that is growing and diverse, groups of people all working together to build a more just world. In practice, we are on the front lines working to end war, abortion, capital punishment, torture, police brutality, embryo destruction, euthanasia, and all forms of violent discrimination and abuse. We believe that every human being has the inherent right to live free from aggressive violence. We are a nonviolent movement who seek to call in those who challenge these violent sorry, who, uh, who we seek to call in those who disagree with us so that we may challenge these violent institutions and policies from a place of mutual understanding and respect for the people who support them. We recognize that it is not enough to respect the dignity of those who we seek to protect, the aborted, the persecuted, the bombed, but also those on the other side of the aisle. As a result, we are conscientious objectors to the culture war. We know that being pro-life doesn't end with overturning Roe v. Wade. We must work to support a culture of life in all facets, from domestic policy that truly supports pregnant people and families, to and foreign policy that rejects imperialism and war-making. Our love for our neighbor cannot end with our neighbor who looks like us or who thinks like us. We must extend this love, or at the very least, respect to those at the margins. The poor, incarcerated people facing our violent carceral system, trans and gender nonconforming people at risk for discrimination and abuse, humans still in their embryonic and fetal stages who are routinely denied the right to life, and immigrants and refugees seeking a better life. We know that we must stand with our disabled and ill friends who are at risk of euthanasia and assisted suicide legislation that seeks to create an ableist double standard wherein some, the healthy or worthy, are given suicide prevention, while the rest are given suicide assistance. In this work, you will find that whatever group you are trying to defend or stand with to protect their rights, it's likely that they have been dehumanized. 
be it through the use of slurs or comparing marginalized groups to animals or parasites, or be it less direct means, dehumanization leads to violence and abuse. So as supporters of the consistent life ethic, we must work to stop, stomp out dehumanization wherever we find it. The most obvious example we see today, but not the only one, is the near constant dehumanization of the unborn as simply clumps of cells or parasites. In the context of IVF and embryonic stem cell research, we even see these children as being legally considered as property with no legal rights of persons whatsoever. You can sometimes hear proponents of abortion and embryo destruction um, say that they may even recognize the humanity of the unborn, which I appreciate because I assume if you're at the pro-life Cardinal O'Connor conference, you already know, but the good news for the pro-life movement is that the scientific community is at a consensus. What is produced at the moment of sperm egg fusion during the process of fertilization is a genetically distinct whole living human organism or human being. Um, and so we know that human life begins at conception. And so sometimes you will hear a pro-choice person or pro-abortion person admit that, say, yes, they're human. However, they're not a person. You know, these creatures with distinct human DNA that are living and unique um, may be human beings, but they're not personhood. Um, or they don't have personhood. And so if you've ever thought this about the unborn or about any group of human beings, I seriously urge you to reconsider this position and to ask others that you know who have this position to reconsider it. Because think historically about the different groups of human beings who throughout history have had their personhood stripped away. Do you really want to be in the company of their oppressors? Forgive me, but ultimately, I believe that this very concept of personhood is an illegitimate social and legal construct that throughout history has almost exclusively been used to discriminate against whole classes of human beings. The consistent life ethic calls us to stand for human rights, not person rights, because the definition of who can or can't be a person ultimately is a political and ideological debate that ignores basic scientific facts. If there could ever be a category of human non-persons, then personhood is either a useless signifier at best or dangerous and deadly at worst. If we are going to claim to be supporters of human rights, we should apply them to all humans. Thankfully, more and more people are recognizing this. Since the modern wave of anti-war, pro-life, feminist, and other human rights advocacy of the early 2010s, the consistent life ethic has gained new partner organizations and voices that are spreading this philosophy far and wide. As we have seen time and time again, young people crave the consistency, authenticity, and inclusion that the consistent life ethic movement satisfies satisfies well, and I hope that you too will find a place in this movement. Before I go on, I do just want to address some frequently asked questions, concerns, and criticisms of this movement. The first being 
that the consistent life ethic is distracting, that it forces you to work on too many things at once, and so you can never focus enough attention on any one issue or cause. Honestly, I believe this is a reasonable objection. Time and resources are finite, especially when you're working on an underfunded shoestring budget like we so frequently are. If you want to help with that, you can go to rehumanizeintl.org slash donate if you feel called to do so. But ultimately, yeah, the consistent life ethic does require an opposition to all acts of aggressive violence against human beings. That is a lot. However, it doesn't mean that you necessarily need to view every issue with the same amount of weight or dedicate the same amount of time to each. For example, here at Rehumanize International, we have made the intentional decision to focus our advocacy primarily on issues that involved that involve state-sanctioned violence against human beings. Meaning, we work to end the forms of violence that are currently legal or widely socially acceptable where we live. We just find that it's most worthwhile to direct our energy on these issues because we hope that changing hearts and minds on these issues can lead to the legislative change necessary to achieve equal rights for all, at least under the law. Of course, everyone on our team still opposes illegal violence, such as homicide and assault, but we don't spend our time advocating against them because most people already agree. That doesn't mean it's bad to work to end something like human trafficking or child abuse. It's just not our focus. You can hold a consistent life ethic and focus on an issue like that, and in fact, I invite you to. There are also people who hold a consistent life ethic who choose to focus on single-issue advocacy against one or even more of the issues uh, that we focus on, and I support that too. I believe that people should be encouraged to work for good in any way that they can. Um, So for example, if you have personally been touched by the violence of war, it makes sense that you would be passionate about ending or working to end imperialism. It's okay to focus on that. Or if you feel that you are most skilled at debating people about the death penalty, that's great. I want you to continue doing that. If you're someone like me who just recognizes that by the numbers, abortion kills more people than any other act of violence, and so you want to focus on that with all of your energy or most of your energy, that's awesome. Please do. The unborn need your voice. We all have different passions and talents, and if you're using your gifts to work to build a culture of peace and life in some way, I'm not going to be mad at you for not doing it in the exact way that I do. Regardless of how you work for human rights, I am grateful for your work. But I also want to challenge you to consider embracing the consistent life ethic if you don't already. I can tell you that ultimately, I choose to organize under the umbrella of the consistent life ethic movement for two reasons. The first and primary reason is just simply that I believe in the philosophy. I really do think that if any of us are going to claim to be supporters of human rights, which we should, then those rights should apply to all humans, regardless of race, age, size, gender, sexuality, ability level, location, immigration status, religion, guilt, innocence, or any other characteristic that I might be forgetting. But if that's not enough for you, 
The second reason I appreciate the consistent life ethic might be even if you don't already embrace the rehumanized international official position on any of the issues that I've talked about or any of the issues we have listed on our website, um, I really encourage you to remain open to the consistent life ethic and those who um, those who hold it because it may be actually useful to you in your single issue advocacy. In our hyper-polarized climate, we know that in many cases, the consistent life ethic effectively tears down the barriers to productive dialogue that can exist by shutting down assumptions and shifting perceptions. In order to get someone to listen to you on any issue, be it abortion or police brutality, war or whatever, it is crucial to be able to demonstrate some amount of sameness. Ultimately, a left-wing pro-abortion person is going to take your pro-life position a lot more seriously if you have already proven to them that you care about people after they're born by showing up to issues that they are passionate about. I can't tell you how many times people have told me that they would have never listened to me spouting off on my crazy pro-life talking points if they thought that I was a hypocrite. And those people, some of those people are now pro-life activists who are able to hear me out and really are going to be much more effective than I'll ever be at reaching other liberals and leftists because they too can demonstrate sameness with them. If someone sees you at a Black Lives Matter protest in your city or rallying to abolish the death penalty in your state, they're not going to be able to use the old pro-lifers are all just MAGA, Christian, fascists talking point that's been drilled into them, and they might actually get a chance to think about the issue for the first time in their lives, and you can be there to guide them in the right direction. At the same time, and on the other hand, if you are someone who goes around painting all anti-abortion conservatives as those racist, not really pro-life hypocrites, those conservatives probably are not going to want to listen to you or work with you when it comes time to abolish the death penalty or work to cut the Pentagon's budget, even though they might sometimes be some of your best allies in those fights. Unfortunately, people are quick to completely write you off or cancel you if uh, th they make assumptions based on other things that you believe. The consistent life ethic gives you a chance to interrupt those patterns and reach people who were perhaps previously unreachable. All right, so another objection that I have heard to the consistent life ethic um, is that someone will say, well, I couldn't possibly embrace the consistent life ethic because I'm not, and then like, insert something irrelevant here. Um, I hear this all the time. I've heard almost every excuse um, or every reason that um, someone couldn't, couldn't possibly be part of this movement. 
that is totally irrelevant to what the consistent life ethic is, which again is an opposition to aggressive violence against human beings. So I've both been told by people that they thought that the consistent life ethic movement was just a liberal thing. And other people who have said, oh, well, that's just a conservative thing. Um, I've heard it's only for members of a specific religious group, often Catholics. Um, I've also heard that it's something only for pro-life atheists. And I've heard it's only for young people or feminists or girls with blue hair um, or people who have a particular view on government spending or same-sex marriage or some other issue that is not related to acts of aggressive violence against human beings. I am here to tell you, it's not true. If you support the right to life for all people in all circumstances, you are welcome in this movement. Here at Rehumanize International, we like to say that we embrace a philosophy of radical inclusivity. To us, that means being both inclusive of who we work to protect and who we work with in order to achieve these goals. With the consistent life ethic as our guiding principle, we aim to leave no human being out of our realm of consideration when it comes to, sorry, um, we, we leave no human out of our realm of consideration when it comes to um, human rights. We oppose violence against all types of people even if that may make us unpopular in certain circles. We recognize that we must work to challenge ourselves and our allies to be cognizant of our own implicit biases that may lead us to unconsciously dehumanize or exclude certain people or groups. But again, we are also inclusive when it comes to who we work with. Our movement is made up of atheists like me working with Christians, Buddhists, and Muslims, liberals, leftists, conservatives, and libertarians, people of all ages, races, sexualities, and gender identities without regard for ability level, immigration status, nationality, or anything else. We seek to truly be a movement of every human being standing for every human being. And we want you to join us. So I'm so excited that you took the first step in clicking on this talk at the virtual Cardinal O'Connor conference and haven't closed out the tab yet. Thank you for sticking around. Um, I hope that at this conference, you've gotten a chance to learn from some of the different speakers about human rights and dignity and are now motivated to get into your community to take action because I want to help you do that. Um, there are plenty of ways to live out these principles that I've been talking about all involving different levels of commitment. At minimum, you could simply avoid committing acts of aggressive violence against human beings in your own life. Choose life in the event of an unintended pregnancy. Do not get a job as an executioner in a prison. Do not commit war crimes, etc. You know, if you look at the consistent life ethic as simply a list of actions that it is wrong to take um, or take part in, then this would be sufficient. However, we know that this philosophy is actually more than that. Because the modern world is plagued with both violence and a sense of apathy and acceptance of that violence, it is critical that we unsettle this status quo. We like to say that rehumanize is a verb. This philosophy is much more than passively saying no to violence. Rather, we should actively affirm the value of each individual human life. 
we must agitate the systems and institutions of injustice and confront those who uphold and defend them. Fundamentally, this, is the, this work is that of changing hearts and minds. And the most effective way to do this is regular engagement with people who both agree and disagree with you on these vital issues. In other words, if the problem is violence and dehumanization, the answer must be connection, community, and rehumanization. So how do we do this? It's so weird being online because I don't have the feedback that I normally have in the audience. Like I normally would have so many questions um, and try to actually engage with you. And so there's just like silence when I'm taking sips and I'm making it more awkward by commenting on it. So um, who knows, maybe the Cardinal O'Connor team at uh, Georgetown Students for Life will, uh, will edit out my awkward pauses, but I certainly don't know how to do that, so I'm not gonna do it. Anyway, how do we do this? How do we rehumanize our world? Um, so uh, the idea is that in order to transform our world, we must first transform our own communities. So first, you can figure out if there's anyone that you already know in your area who may want to work with you to end violence against human beings. Check to see if you have a local rehumanized chapter, and if so, contact them and join their efforts. If you do go to Georgetown or live in the area, you actually do have a rehumanized chapter here because um, we have rehumanized DMV, so DC, Maryland, Virginia. Um, they're based here. You can follow them on social media at uh, rehumanized DMV. Um, they have their contact information listed on their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, so find them. Get involved in their work. Um, if you're from out of town and you already don't have a rehumanized chapter in your area, you can try to start one yourself or look into it. Um, some more information. Rehumanized chapters are local organizations fully dedicated to the mission and vision of Rehumanize International. So basically what I talked about today. Um, they get access to, uh, to the support of the Rehumanize team for guidance, web-based lectures and trainings, event and campaign assistance and promotion, the ability to work with us to host in-person events such as speaking engagements or even the annual Rehumanize conference once it becomes safe for us to meet in person again. Um, the, the conference has been online for the past two years and it probably will be again this year. Um, so stay tuned to our social media and website um, for updates on the Rehumanize conference. It's not announced yet. Um, but maybe one day you can help host one when uh, COVID eventually is, is cured and we don't have to deal with this anymore. Um, but yeah, rehumanized chapters have the practical support they need to educate, connect, and restore in their communities that which a culture of violence deforms. Um, so if you're interested, please go to rehumanizeintl.org slash community, and that has all the information you need to get started on forming a rehumanized chapter in your city um, or your community or your state. Um, but if you're not ready for that commitment, we also have other options. Um, there's still plenty of things you can do by yourself or with just one or two friends. Um, you can also, if you are part of a group already, whether it's um, like a church social justice group or a Students for Life chapter at your high school or college, 
Um, we also have the option to sign up as a rehumanized allied group, um, which is similar to the chapters, but those can be multi or single issue groups that already exist and just sign our pledge. Um, and basically you sign up to get free merch and outreach materials and assistance from the rehumanized international team. Um, so there's those two options. The information for both of those are at the rehumanizeintl.org slash community link. Um, but, you know, if you don't have, you're not in a group, you don't have any friends, um, there's still things you can do uh, to to help build a culture of life. Um, and so I'm just going to start listing them off. You can do these just on your own for the most part or with one or two friends. Um, my ideas are split up into education, service, and activism. So you can educate by starting conversations with your friends and family about the consistent life ethic and advocate for your positions. Attend online and in-person events that rehumanize and other like-minded organizations hold and encourage your friends to come. One thing we have coming up later this year in the spring is the Create Encounter release party. If you don't know, every year at Rehumanize International, we host... Um, an art contest, basically, a creative contest. We accept all artistic mediums, so painting, digital art, graphic design, as well as poetry, prose, song, video, music, um, basically any sort of sculpture, um, any sort of creative medium that you're interested in. We have an art contest that you can submit to, um, and there's cash prizes, and at the end of it, we host a release party where we all get together. Again, this year, it's going to be online for the second year in a row. Um, but we have a release party and you we, we celebrate and we talk about art and literature and uh, human rights and all of those intersections. And it's a good time. And it's a, like a super easy thing that you can just show up to. Um, and so come to that. Invite your friends. Go to other conferences like the Cardinal O'Connor Conference um, and bring people with you. Someone who maybe doesn't really know about these issues or hasn't completely decided how they feel about abortion or euthanasia or the death penalty. Um, so that's just one way to educate. You can also share posts on social media from Rehumanize or Secular Pro-Life or Students for Life or any of these groups that um, share social media graphics um, to start conversations among your friends. You can wear t-shirts, buttons, patches, and other merch with consistent life ethic messaging. You can go to rehumanizeintl.org slash shop if you need some. Um, and you can also write blog posts, articles, and op-eds to your local papers. Uh, for service, you can perform service by doing sidewalk advocacy outside of an abortion clinic. If you've never done this before, another link you can visit is rehumanizeintl.org slash sidewalk dash outreach for tips on effective outreach. You can host a fundraiser for or an items drive for a local service-oriented nonprofit. So pregnancy centers, domestic violence shelters, or immigrant and refugee resource center. You can write letters to incarcerated people, including those on death row. I have a pen pal who's on death row, um, and I, I recommend it. You can write to her if you want, um, or someone else. There's plenty of lists you can find online. Um, you can also volunteer at a soup kitchen or a food bank um, or visit with residents at a nursing home or maternity home. Um, or even just creating and distributing portable first aid and toiletry kits for people experiencing homelessness in your city. In terms of activism, you can attend the National March for Life, like most of us did yesterday. 
Um, well, for me recording, it's in the future, but when you're watching, it should have been yesterday. Um, uh, or you can go to your local and state marches. You can organize an anti-war rally in your city or campaign to local institutions like banks or universities to divest from the military industrial complex, the abortion industry, and private prisons and detention centers for immigrants. You can speak to your elected officials about the life issues. Um, again, these are just some suggestions for ways that you can get activated in this movement for every human life. I encourage you to think about your talents and passions and think about where you fit into this movement. None of us are going to be able to end abortion or capital punishment or war or torture or euthanasia or any form of violence on our own. We need to be able to work together to combat these institutions and societal structures that uphold them. We need you. So welcome. I hope this session has inspired you to get involved. Um, if if you weren't so convinced by me, I recommend visiting our website at rehumanizeintl.org. Um, they have more information, talking points, and citations for all of the issues. You can also email me, herb at rehumanizeintl.org. That's H-E-R-B. Um, if you have any questions or if you just want to yell at me on Twitter, I am at Herb Garrity, uh, first name, last name, easy to find. Um, you can also, please don't yell at me, uh, but you can, I guess. Um, you can also follow Rehumanize International on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Rehumanize INTL. Um, so yeah, thanks again for tuning in and for not closing out by now. Um, and thank you again to Georgetown Right to Life and the Cardinal O'Connor Conference for having us. It was good to be here. Hope to see you next year in person, but if not, um, I'm sure we'll be here online. So thank you.